You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Happy New Year. We are thrilled that you're here. By the way, you now have perfect attendance in 2021. So, good job. Good job. Uh, so, listen. All right, all right, so, let's start like this. How many of you started your resolutions on the 1st? How many of you are starting on Monday? Yeah, that's, isn't that weird? The first thing we did was procrastinate. Um, so, uh, listen. Last year was tough. We can acknowledge that. And uh, it's time to make 2021 better, right? We're going to do that. And uh, yeah. <clears throat> Anybody get hand sanitizer for Christmas? I did. I did. I was so triggered by that. And there is no other year where that would make any sense except 2020. I mean, it, it's like if someone would have done that, Two years ago, be like, hands, like, what's wrong with you? That's like giving someone, well, I guess make it, giving someone toilet paper makes sense for 2020 also. Um, and uh, I, I feel like we should all get something printed, right? Like, I survived 2020 and all I got was this lousy mask. I don't know, something to that effect. Um, but, you know, I, I've been thinking about this probably more than I should think about things, but I tend to do that that someday we are going to have to explain all of this to people who either weren't born yet or people who were too young to remember. Like, what happened in 2020? For real? I mean, like, we're going to have to explain that. And I've been trying to think about how I'm going to explain it. And I'm going to explain it with one story, and that is what happened to me on New Year's Eve. So, we decided to stay home on New Year's Eve. I don't know about you. This was like the busiest December of my entire life. And so I decide, I'm like, we're going to stay home and I'm going to grill some steaks on my big green egg. And um, so it gets around dinner time and I have a fridge in my garage. And so I go to the fridge. I grab the steaks from the garage. I'm going to bring them to the kitchen, let them uh, come up to room temperature, season them and all that. And when I open the, uh, when I open the package, I, there's, it's, the package is leaking, and I'm like, oh. So I open it up. Then I go into my pantry. I get some butcher block paper. I lay that out, put the steaks on it. Then I throw away the messy packaging. And um, when I go to get the butcher block paper, I realize that in front of my fridge, there's a few drops of blood. And so I'm like, okay, I got to clean that up. I get some Windex and some paper towels, and I start cleaning it. And then I notice, like, right around the corner from my fridge, there's a few more drops. Now, my daughter, Livy, who turned nine on Monday, she's like, Dad, if it's leaking here, it probably started leaking blood all the way from the garage. And I'm like, why would you say something like that? And so she's like, well, I'm going to go check. So she walks over. She's like, oh, yeah, there's blood. And, uh, which was just not something you want to hear. And, uh, so I walk back. I mean, there is blood through my entire house all the way to the garage. It looked like a murder scene. Uh, and we were just waiting for the cops to show up anyway. So all I'm trying to do is cook dinner. And now I spend the next 20 minutes on my hands and knees with Windex cleaning the floor. Now, the thing that I don't realize 
is that I'm wearing these dark pants while I'm doing all of this and doing the meat and all that. So midnight happens and whatever, and I'm changing, I'm taking everything out of my pockets, you know, getting ready to put my pajamas on. And I, I my, my wife bought me uh, a white, sh- not this white shirt, but she bought me a white shirt and it didn't work out. So I had to return it. So she gave me the receipt. So I had the receipt in my pocket. What I didn't realize is there was blood all over me and I didn't even realize this. And blood had seeped into the pants, seeped into my pockets. And so when I go to pull out my wallet and there is, this receipt is covered in blood, like dried blood. And I'm telling my, I'm like, what in the world am I going to say to the woman at Banana Republic? Like, and she's like, what, you're going to return that shirt? I, yeah. Why? Uh, because apparently I'm in the mafia and someone got whacked. I don't know. I, I, it's just, there's, I don't, there's no good explanation for this. But I, I think that for some of us, that's, that's like how, that's what 2020 was like. It was a bloody mess. We were trying to do things differently, trying to do better. Last year ruined everything. And, and what tends to happen at the beginning of a year is that we tend to make resolutions that are total overreactions to the bad choices that we made the previous year. Or we set the most unrealistic goals that even if we quit our jobs and abandoned all responsibility, we would not be able to reach them all. And we're like, you know what I'm going to do this year is I'm going to read a book every week. I'm going to lose 50 pounds. I'm going to go to CrossFit every day and become a concert pianist. Like, what? Okay. And now listen, those are all good things. But you know, it's, it's unlikely that you're going to read 50 books if you spend hours a day on Facebook. Like, maybe not. Um, and... and you know, well, you know, I used to lay, lay around and eat Twinkies, but now I'm going to go to CrossFit every day and eat those disgusting protein bars, which, by the way, should be classified as crimes against humanity. Um, all right, I'm going to tell you, let's talk about protein bars for a minute. This is all free. This is extra. So this is free. So uh, I don't know why people who like protein bars make it their mission for me to like protein bars. I don't like them because I don't like the taste of death. And so that's why I don't like them. And they're like, and so I have a friend who is constantly trying to get me to try the new protein bar. So he calls me not that long ago and he's like, Bob, you got to go get this one. It tastes just like Oreos. It's amazing. It tastes just like Oreos. And now he knows that Oreos happen to be my love language. And so I'm interested, so I go to, so I say, okay, so there's a health food store down the street, and so I go to the health food store, and it's kind of weird when you go into it, they're like, wow, we've never seen you here before, Um, and so, by the way, one of my goals in life, you know how people have like a bucket list, one of my bucket list items is to walk through Whole Foods with a bag of McDonald's, and just see what kind of, uh, just, and, 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 and maybe like eating a few fries, like, this is delicious, not like this garbage you're selling, anyway, so... It's my way of sticking it to the man. And uh, so, anyway, uh, anything. So anyway, so I go and I buy the protein bar. And um, I get in my car. I take one bite. And you know what it tastes like? Exactly like every other protein bar tastes. Disgusting. So I call him and I'm like, dude, this is horrible. And he's like, this, I'm like, this doesn't taste anything like Oreos. He's like, well, it doesn't taste exactly like Oreos. I'm like, that's not what you said. You said it's exact. And he's like, well, dude, it's a protein bar. And I'm so sick of the false advertising. Like, why don't you come up with something 
that we'll all like. But until then, I mean, like, stop trying to mask, uh, you know, the, the, the taste of death with your protein. And anyway, thank you. I just saved myself a therapy session talking to you about this. Um, so, wow, I feel good now. I feel light. So <laughs> anyway, now, if we want 2021 to be different, I, I want you to know this, that 2021, uh, and just any year in general, change in general, has little to do with what's happening externally and way more to do with what's going on internally. You see, because everything that we want to see happen externally starts with something internal. It starts with an internal decision. It starts with transforming your thinking. It starts with believing that God is telling the truth. Because if you've been with us uh, for a while here at Calvary, we've been talking about this for the last several weeks, that that's what faith is. That the definition of faith is believing, acting like God is telling the truth. Faith is not primarily an emotion or simply talking about faith or even having faith in our own faith. Faith is acting, believing like God is telling the truth because faith ultimately is about trust. And the reality is that your life and mine will be defined by the level at which we believed that God was telling the truth. Now, if we're just joining us, we've spent the last oh, three or four months now, studying through the book of Hebrews, which is the most theologically dense book in the New Testament. And it was written um, to a group of Jewish Christians who were going through a very difficult season of time. And they were asking a question that I know all of us have asked at some point, which is, if God loves me, why is life so hard? And the answer to that question is this very eloquent and theologically dense letter that serves as an encouragement for them to do the only thing that really helps when you're going through a season of difficulty, and that is to fix your eyes on Jesus. And throughout this book, the writer's been telling his readers that Jesus is better than anything else that we could put our trust or faith or hope in. And he does that over the course of 10 chapters. And then the writer, uh, in, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, he, make, he shifts and he says, I, I know that I've been telling you this, but I want you to give you the illustration of what it looks like. And so he starts working his way through Jewish history, telling us what that kind of faith looks like. And he starts listing all of the people of faith that we look up to, people that live by faith in the midst of difficult circumstances. And so as we've been working our way through today, we come to the story of Moses who is the hero of Judaism. In a Jewish culture, you have to understand that there was no one greater than Moses. He was the deliverer, the lawgiver, the one who brought the people of Israel through the wilderness and to the edge of the promised land. And what we're going to see in Moses' faith is a faith that started with his parents' trust in God that ultimately led to him hearing God's voice and seeing God's work. And the important thing for us to note, the thing I want us to walk away with today is that Moses lived a different kind of life because he had a different kind of faith. And it's a faith that's available to each of us. Because when we want things to change, when we want us to change, we need that different kind of faith as well. So we're going to start in uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews in verse 23. It says this, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. If you pause there and give me your attention, we're going to talk about how faith gets developed and three things in particular. The first is this, if you're a note taker, that faith trusts that God will make a way. Faith trusts that God will make a way. Now, obviously, this first part is about Moses' parents and their names, if you're not aware, are Amram and Jochebed. 
and their story is amazing. Now, let me give you a little bit of background to get us up to speed. The children of Israel were living in Egypt uh, at the end of the book of Genesis because there was a famine in the land, and they began to multiply over the course of uh, the next few generations. They had multiplied so much that the Pharaoh was afraid that he thought if they just keep growing, they're gonna, they could literally overtake Egypt. And so the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites and also made a decree that the midwives who were helping the Hebrew women give birth, if they saw that it was a male child, to kill the male child. Thankfully, they didn't obey that command. So the Pharaoh makes a new command that's like just as horrifying as the first one. And it's, this is in Exodus chapter 1. So Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, Every son who is born to you, uh, you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Moses is born, and his parents, as we just read uh, in, in Hebrews, they saw that he was a beautiful child. Now, I, I want, it, it, every parent thinks their children are beautiful. That's not a surprise, right? Um, no parent thinks their kids are ugly, and yet some are. I'm not saying your kids. I'm talking about people in the other service. Uh, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just messing. Those people are pretty good. Um, I'm just messing. And so, but I'm telling you, it happens. And listen, there's some kids, right, that are just born. They're, they're, they're just beautiful from birth. And then there's other kids that kind of like grow into their features. Um, and, but I'll see it happen. I see it happen here at Calvary all the time. People come in with their newborn and they want to say hi, introduce me to the newborn. And, um, and, and, and you see the baby and it's a little frightening. And, uh, and, and I don't even know, like, what do you even say? I don't even know what to say. Sometimes I just find that I get put in like these awkward situations and I don't know what to say. I can't lie because I'm not a liar. And, and, but I don't want to tell the truth because that's even worse. Um, and so... I just have a thing that I've said for years and I, I can't say it anymore because I'm telling you now. And so, but I just had this thing where I would see the baby, I'm like, whoa. And, uh, and I just, I'd be like, wow, <laughs> that's a baby. And um, that is a statement of fact. And like, yeah, so that's our, what do you think? <laughs> that is a baby. And uh, can, you really did have one and that's it. And so, all right, <laughs> now I tell you this. When, when, when it tells us that Moses was a beautiful child, um, it's, it's a little bit deeper than just, well, he was just a really good-looking baby. Um, it, it's, it, it's something deeper than that. It ta- it's speaking to the fact that God had a plan for this child, and the parents knew it. In fact, in the book of Acts, um, which in Acts chapter 7, you know the book of Acts is written, it's the story of the church. Jesus rose from the dead and then the early church explodes um, and people co- start coming to know Jesus all over uh, the, the Middle Eastern world and even into uh, Eastern Europe. And there is a young leader whose name is Stephen. And in Acts 7, we read about Stephen giving this sermon to the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And when he starts recounting Jewish history, here's what he says about Moses. He says that at this time Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. Now, Moses's parents looked at Moses and saw that God had a special plan for his life. And I believe this is really the job of every parent, not just to believe in faith, but to speak those words of faith over their kids, that God has a special plan for their kids. Now, they hid him for three months until they couldn't hide him anymore. Um, and once again, the king had made this decree. And so you know how it is. 
kids are, newborns are not silent. Have you noticed that? Uh, that's why this Silent Night is a beautiful song, not really accurate, right? It's not going to be a silent night when a woman is giving birth before the invention of the epidural. It's just not going to happen, all right? But we just sing the song and we don't ask too many questions. And um, so, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I didn't say any of this stuff since 10 o'clock. The 10 o'clock people were just like, let's just give it to us and we got to go. You guys are like, I was just hanging out. I got nothing going on. So, anyway... <laughs> All right, so let me give you the next part. So this is it. Exodus chapter 2, here's what it tells us. It says, so the woman conceived and bore a son. When she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. When they can't, hide and conceal this newborn anymore. She, take, she goes to the Nile River. She takes this little concocted little boat almost and lays him in it and then puts him, kind of sets him a sail. Moses' sister, whose name is Miriam, is watching to see what's going to happen of her little brother. And providentially, that little boat makes its way to where the, the, the daughter of Pharaoh was bathing. She sees this child and automatically realizes that this child is Hebrew. And once again, the reason she realizes this child was Hebrew is because he was circumcised according to the covenant that God had made with Abraham. And then uh, here's what we find. This is the really amazing part of the story is what happens next. It says, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that he may, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And so the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And so she called his name Moses because I drew him out of the water. That's what the the name Moses means. It means to draw out. Now, this story is so, it's so powerful to me that Pharaoh, they see this. She picks up Moses, a Pharaoh's daughter, and then Miriam says, hey, do you want me to find a nurse for this child? She's like, oh, that's a great idea. So Miriam goes and gets Jochebed, who's Moses' mom, and says, hey, I've got a job for you. Um, you're going to nurse your son and get paid for it. I mean, like, I want you to think about that. Do you want to nurse your son and get paid for it? It's like a promise that a multi-level marketer makes. And, uh, and so... And this is like the only mom in history that gets paid for being a parent. And um, now, here's what Moses' parents teach us. And this is what's so powerful. That faith trusts that God is going to make a way. Because this is the difference between faith and sight. Sight says, God, I'm willing to do the right thing if you show me that doing the right thing will be beneficial to me. Faith says, God, I believe you're telling the truth and I'm going to act like it. Now, let me, some of you know this story if you've been around Calvary for a while, and so forgive me for repeating it, but there's a part of the story you don't know because I usually don't talk about it because that's the part that makes me look bad. And, uh, <laughs> but, well, really most of the stories that I tell make me look bad, but that's not really the point. Um, but when we started Calvary, it was my wife and I and five people in a living room. We didn't have any money, no members, no building, nothing like that. It was just, we just had a calling. That was it. We had the call of God in our lives, and that was it. And so, 
um, we, started our ch- we started doing this Bible study, and then we said we're going to do our first public meeting um, at this hotel, at, at this, this conference room in the hotel. And so I was um, working at a Bible, I was running a Bible college at the time that was part of the church that we were part of. And I was in, uh, I was going through a closet at the church, and I found this little sound system. They didn't even know it was there. And so I said, hey, can I borrow this sound system? We're starting this church. Can I borrow? They're like, yeah, we didn't even know it was there. You take it for as long as you need it. So after having it for about three weeks, they called me and they said, hey, you know that sound system you found? We need it back. And I'm like, yo, you told me I could borrow this thing for as long as I need it. Like, yeah, but it's very important to us now. And I'm like, dude, you're really cramping my style here. We're three weeks in. Um, we can't even afford sound, much less a sound system. Like, right, you know, and so um, they, they were like, look, you got to bring it back. And so that's Sunday afternoon. They wanted me to bring it back on Monday. And I don't know. I just, like, you know what? I'm not bringing it back till Tuesday. And I just, like, that doesn't even make any sense. But it was just me being passive aggressive. And I'm like, I'll bring it back, but I'm bringing it back on my terms. And so anyway, so on Tuesday, I bring it back and with, that, with not the best attitude. And I have no idea what we're going to do for a sound system on Sunday. So Tuesday goes by, and I have no idea. Wednesday goes by. Third, and I, I am sweating this. Because once again, we're just starting. We've only had three services. And, uh, you know, we, don't, we, we didn't have the resources to, to buy a sound system. And, um, and I'm like, I guess we're going to go a cappella, and I'm going to yell, you know, which is kind of my strategy. Um, and so Thursday uh, afternoon, I get a call from a friend of mine who's the pastor of a church down in South Miami. And he says, hey, four boxes just arrived for you from UPS. Uh, and, I, and, and, I, and I'm like, for me? It's like, it has your name on it. And I'm like, dude, I didn't order anything. And if I did, why would I send it to you? And um, so, all right, let me tell you another part of the story. Six months earlier, I was in West Palm Beach and I was speaking at a men's conference. And I'm talking to this pastor from California who's also a speaker at the conference. And I'm telling, he's like, hey, I heard you're starting a church. Yeah, we're going down to Miami to start a church. So I'm telling him this whole thing. And he's like, man, that's so exciting. So that guy goes back to California after the conference. And he's having breakfast with a friend of his. And he's like, hey, I met this guy in, Cali- I met this guy in Florida named Bob, and he's starting a church. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's cool. Well, the guy he's having breakfast with owns an audiovisual company. That guy leaves the breakfast and says, I wonder if that guy, Bob, needs a sound system. You know what I'm going to do? I won't call him or ask him. I will just mail him one. So the four boxes that showed up on that Thursday evening when I got there was an entire sound system for us, for our church that Sunday. Now, um, I, to this day, it's been 20 years. I've never spoken to that guy. He has never visited our church that I'm aware of. Um, but this guy was walking by faith and helping us walk by faith. Now, here's why I love this story. And once again, this was... It was so early, and I was still so nervous, and like, I think God's called me, and I'm stepping out because I believe God's called me, but this was one of those moments in my life where God was really affirming that you're doing the right thing, I really have called you, and it's one that I'll never forget, and the cool thing is, after 20 years, I've got hundreds of those stories now, some that I share with you from time to time, and others that are so personal, it's impossible for me to ever share, but here's the thing I want to tell you that's so amazing to me. Do you realize that those boxes were in the mail when I got the phone call to return the sound system? Those boxes were already en route to me when I was having a bad attitude, 
and decided I wasn't going to deliver it until Tuesday. Uh, Those those boxes were already in the mail when I was, was bringing the thing back. Listen, God had already made a way for us. You see, sometimes as believers, we're like, well, you know what we need? We need God to change Pharaoh's law instead of us walking by faith because there is a beautiful child, a beautiful vision that has been entrusted to us. And listen, and sometimes we miss that. It, and and here's, my, here's the question I think that we need to ask. Do we want 2021 to be such a powerful year in our lives that we spend the rest of our lives telling stories about what God did this year? And if that's true, and if that's what we want, then we need a different kind of faith. We need a faith that believes that God is going to make a way and that he is actively seeking to make that way come to fruition. Well, the story goes on in verse 24. He says, By faith Moses, when he, became, when he came of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. He looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. If you pause there and give me your attention. Second thing I want to show you, and that is that faith sees everything as preparation. Everything. There's a couple things that I want you to notice that I think are really important. Moses spent the first 40 years of his life being trained in Pharaoh's court in all the ways of the Egyptians. In fact, that's what Stephen tells us in Acts 7. He says this. He says, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. And if you know the story, you know that this knowledge of how Pharaoh's court works is going to be very important later in life when he and his brother Aaron stand before Pharaoh and says, The Lord God of Israel says, Let my people go. But see, the story takes kind of a strange turn Next, it says this, when Moses turned 40, it says, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And when Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. Now, I want you to notice something that's important. Moses throughout the early part of his life, felt the call of God to deliver God's people. He assumed everybody could see that. But he didn't have the maturity to know, if I have the what, which is that God has called me, I've got to have the maturity to do the how. But instead, he decides to do it his own way and now spends the next 40 years of his life as a shepherd. Now, now listen, if you've spent the first 40 years of your life at the top echelon of Egyptian culture, raised in Pharaoh's court and in Pharaoh's royal family, living in the middle of nowhere, caring for your father-in-law's flock, does not seem like high-level work. And I have this theory that Moses may have thought that he had completely ruined his life. I mean, who wouldn't think that? But Moses is about to learn a principle that someone 
another person who was Jewish and spent their entire life in Pharaoh's court understood. A few generations before Moses, Joseph rose to prominence in Pharaoh's court because he predicted a famine was coming. And this guy had been sold into slavery by his brothers. The brothers had told their father Jacob that, oh yeah, your son Joseph is dead. And then he, through a whole series of miraculous uh, providence, he finds himself raised to power, second in command in Egypt. And then a famine, that famine comes to pass. And all of his family now shows, shows up in Egypt looking for food and he re, he's realizing that this happened for the purpose of him being able to save his family. And that's why in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, Joseph says to his brothers, he says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Joseph was able to look at the most painful moments in his life and say, God has a plan for all of this. And now I see it. The problem is we have a hard time seeing it. We look at our lives from this perspective because listen, most of the time, we're not trying to make our lives better. We're trying to make our lives easier. And those are two completely different things. And a lot of times we're like, how do I make my life easier in the short term? And, And what takes place is that's not the program that God is on. God is not how do I make my life easier in the short term, it's how, how do I make your life better for the long term, and he's not even looking long term, he's looking at your life through the scope of eternity. And the thing that you've got to be sure of is that everything in your life is preparation for what God is doing, that nothing, how seemingly insignificant you think, gets wasted. And I, I came to this realization many years ago. When I was in college, I, I worked at this uh, company that manufactured home accessories that was called Clay, Metal, and Stone, or as those of us who worked there called it, Crazed, Mental, and Stoned. And um, it was a very strange place. It was the office 10 years before the office premiered, all right? It was basically the same people. My boss, uh, his name was Bobby, and so when I got hired, Um, I became known as Young Bob, or YB for short. But I was Young Bob, and he became known as Old Bob, which I thought was hilarious, except when I was writing this, I realized that I am the age that he was when I got hired, and now I find that very offensive, uh, that you'd call someone my age Old Bob. That's why I have vowed never to hire a younger pastor whose name is also Bob. So you need not apply. So... Anyway, <laughs> so uh, Bobby, but here's the thing I tell you about Bobby. Uh, uh, Bobby, my boss, he would get these, and this was so big in the 80s and 90s, um, where there would be these uh, business motivational cassettes that you would subscribe to and then you would get mailed. And so he subscribed to these business motivational tapes and every month they would have like an interview with someone and be like these innovative strategies for your company. Well, every time Bobby would listen to one of these tapes, Um, he would want to change the entire direction of the company. So imagine your company changing direction every 30 days. So it got so bad, we started intercepting his mail and hiding the tapes because uh, every time a tape came in the mail, it made our lives miserable. I don't know if there's anything more that sounds like Michael Scott than that. But anyway, that's just another thing entirely. But uh, the other thing about this company that you need to know is that every single person in that company had a title doesn't matter how insignificant their 
job was seemingly. There was a, a title for it. Customer service. There was only two people that worked in customer service. The customer service manager and the customer service assistant manager. What were they managing is the question. The phone? I don't know. And so the only person in that entire company that didn't have a title was me because I didn't even have like a formal job description. They hired someone to basically be like the junk drawer in your kitchen. Like, so what do we do with this? Just shove it in the junk drawer. What do we do with this task? I don't know. Give it to young Bob. That's what it was. So I just basically became the junk drawer for everything that people didn't want to do. So one of my tasks at this company was, now this is, I know it's hard to understand this because it, um, the way that these reps, and so these, there were reps in different areas of the country that would go to furniture stores every time there was a new line, and we put out a new line um, every three months. And so um, the way that we would do it is we would, there would be photos that were taken, so the, the person who was the designer, and I'm sure she had, she had a very fancy title, I can't remember what it was, and then she would take pictures of everything that was getting, that was getting produced, and then all the, there would be like hundreds of these photos that were printed, and then uh, of every single item. Well, then my job was to take all of these items, put stickers with the product number on them, and then put them in photo albums. You're, you're like, you mean iPhoto? No, this is before computers, electricity, and running water. Um, this is, I'm talking about a physical photo album so that you'd see the picture, and then you flipped it over, and then you could see what number it was. So anyway, every three months, I had this huge project of putting stickers on every single picture putting them in the photo albums, putting them in a FedEx envelope, and mailing them to every single rep around the country that we had. And so th this project took quite some time. And so I would go into the conference room in, in, our, uh, in our office, and I would just lay out like thousands of pictures, and I would just get them all set. And then people would come by, and they'd say, young Bob, what are you doing? And I would say, I'm changing the world one sticker at a time, right? Because I'm, I've always been as snarky as I am. And so... Um, so now, fast forward three years. I graduate with my theology degree, and um, in, in a weird situation, um, I've graduated from school, and then the person that was the director of the school has gone, and they're like, you know who would be really good at this is Bob. So they hire me. Um, I was already on staff at the church, but they, they promote me to be the director of this Bible college, which is the definition of the inmates running the asylum. And so, um, so now... And, and by the way, and God bless the school. Um, the, the school was really doing terrible and, uh, when, when I took it over, which I think is why they're like, give it to Bob. I mean, how worse could it be? I mean, he, and let, I don't think make it worse if he sets it on fire. And so anyway, so um, after about a year, we turn the whole thing around and, and we, we, we you know, get a whole faculty. Anyway, the school's doing really well. Um, we, we developed this brand new catalog, all of our course selections, and um, I've got to mail out a bunch of catalogs because now we've got over 250 students at the school that are all pursuing theology degrees. So um, I've got all these supplies. And so I've got, you know, the catalogs, the envelopes. I've got a letter from me. I've got a whole bunch of things that go in there. And then I have a bunch of pages of the Avery 5160 labels. How do I remember the, the, the number? But anyway, I have all that. And then I'm going to go into the library because normally I would have my assistant do that, but for whatever reason, maybe she wasn't there or whatever, I decided that I was going to do it. So I go into our library at the college, and I just lay everything out. 
and I'm putting stickers on the envelopes. And I have this moment where I'm finally connecting the dots. That I, and, and here's the weird part is that I'm like, this is, this is crazed mental and stoned all over again. Except, except I really believe that was changing the world one sticker at a time. Because I, I, I was convinced that, that it was possible that the next great preacher, the next great evangelist, could get this catalog and be inspired to go to our college. And I had this revelation that day, and this is why I tell you all of this. God doesn't waste anything, not even stickers. He doesn't waste any of it. And when Moses is standing in Pharaoh's court to free God's people, and he realizes that the first 40 years of his life were preparation for him to stand in Pharaoh's court and know how Pharaoh's court works. And because he's been there so much, he doesn't have to be nervous about standing in a new environment. He realizes that God has been preparing him for the first part of his life for this moment. And when the children of Israel finally make it out of Egypt through the Red Sea and they're making their way to the promised land and they spend 40 years in the wilderness and he's like, come on guys. And he says to himself, man, this is just like shepherding. Wow. Leading these people from Egypt to the promised land was just like the thing that I did for the next 40 years of shepherding my father-in-law's flock. Now I'm shepherding my father's flock to the promised land. And my point is this. Listen, faith has a way of seeing that God is always preparing us for what's going to happen next. Well, verse 28, and we're done. I'll catch that in a minute. (laughs) He says, by faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, uh, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. If you pause there and give me your attention. Last thing is that faith walks after God has spoken. You see, I want you to understand something here that most of us want to see the types of wonders and miracles that are being described, but there's something happening in the background. There was faith working in the mundane and simple obedience of years in the desert and listening to God's voice when he was speaking to us. There's this moment at the burning bush of obeying God's voice and going back to the one place he never wanted to go back to. It was taking the staff and saying, I'm going to drop this thing and it's going to turn into a snake. And that sounds ridiculous. And I'm going to risk being foolish. You see, and that led to other plagues that increased in intensity and led to keeping the Passover and seeing the Red Sea part. You see, there's something important for us who are walking with God and and seek for him to do great things in our lives. This is important for us to know. Sometimes faith looks strange. I mean, the Passover is commemorating God saving the people of Israel and exacting judgment on the Egyptians. And how did they know that the, how did the death angel know to pass over that house? Because they took blood and put it on the doorposts. And once again, with hindsight, we recognize that that was a type, right? That they would put blood on the doorposts on the side and they'd put blood on the doorposts on top. And so when the blood dripped down, it was almost the picture of a cross, because Jesus, our Passover lamb, was crucified. But they didn't realize that. They might have done that thinking it might have been kind of strange. But God told them to do it, and people of faith walk in obedience to God's voice. This is how the triumphant moment at the Red Sea happens. 
It's when they put their entire lives in God's hand and trust them for every step. Because listen, crossing the Red Sea was not like going from one side of your pool to the other. I mean, this was miles. And they were walking through this saying, what happens if this all caves in on us halfway? By the way, that's what happened to the Egyptian army. They got halfway through the miracle and it didn't, but once again, without faith, it didn't work. You see, they were learning to trust God with every step. And and there's a cool application for us as Christians. Um, The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that in the cloud and in the sea, all were baptized as followers of Moses. That uh, the Apostle Paul says, you know that when they crossed the Red Sea, it was like they were baptized. They, they they, They had faith. They were trusting And that baptism, listen, for us becomes a point of obedience. And here's why. Because it's not hard to do. But you know what the other thing is true? It's also easy not to do. But when an adult decides to go in the water and go into the water identifying with Jesus in his death, coming up out of the water identifying with Jesus in his resurrection, that simple act of obedience, listen, it sets in motion a life of trusting and obeying God. That baptism is something that is so powerful and beautiful and so simple. It's a moment to obey God and set in motion a life of obedience to him. And listen, maybe for some of us, a next step to take in 2021 is to say that baptism is my next step. And maybe you were baptized as an infant like me uh, because of the tradition you grew up in. And that spoke a lot of your parents' faith. But Initially, infant baptism was the, hey, we're going to do this trusting that when you're old enough, you're going to make this decision for yourself. And so you can check that off on the back of the connection card, and we'll send you some info about a baptism that we're having soon. But if we want 2021 to be different, we need to do things differently than we did in 2020. And it begins with faith, acting like God is telling the truth. In your career, acting like God is telling the truth, that means this, anything that we're doing is preparation for what God is grooming us for. In your marriage, acting like God is telling, us, telling the truth uh, is that the faith is directing us to trust God, that he's going to make a way even if we're struggling and we need God's help. With your health in 2021, act like God is telling the truth. Faith is showing us that discipline in one area bleeds into other areas and build into greater victories. With your kids, faith is revealing that our daily displays of faith are shaping our kids to live a life of faith that honor him and will serve them for a lifetime. But it begins, listen, it begins with surrender. And until then, nothing works right. And this is true if you aren't a Christian yet. This is true if you are a Christian Most of us want God to bless what we're doing, but the reality is our job is to find out what God is blessing and get in on that. But all of that involves taking a step and trusting him because if we want to live a different kind of life, it's going to take a different kind of faith. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that promise. And we want to have the kind of faith that you said could move mountains. And God, our prayer is that this year would be different than what we've experienced in the past because we want to be different. 
We want to trust you more than we've ever trusted. We want to obey more than we've ever obeyed. We want to experience you more than we've ever experienced you and see you do what only you can do in us and through us. And we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.